Hello and welcome to the Get Transformed podcast of Transformation Christian Fellowship. We are so excited that you are tuning in, and hope that you would be empowered and transformed by the Word of God. Come on, celebrate Jesus this morning. Come on, celebrate Jesus like you know He saved your life, like He delivered you, like He redeemed you, like He pulled you out of the muck and the miry clay. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We bless your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Y'all feeling good? Amen, amen, amen. Man, bless the Lord, all my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy, holy name. Amen, amen. What a pleasure to be before all of you in person and online this morning. It's a good day, amen. The sun is shining. I'm alive and good health in my right mind, amen. Come on, somebody. I'm in my right mind. I don't know about you. I'm grateful to be in my right mind this morning. To the angel, Pastor Brandon, who I'm fortunate um, to call not only a pastor, but a brother and a friend. Thank you so much for, um, of course, always opening up this opportunity. I remember the first time I preached at TCF. You looked me dead in the face and said, you better be good. Amen. And that has stuck with me ever since then. Amen. You're not allowed to come up on this platform and you don't prepare. Amen. So, oh man, a lot of pressure. And this is my first time preaching on this stage. Amen. You know, this year, uh, OG went first, then Lady O, then LaVar. And I was just like, is it going to feel any different? It feel a little bit different. Amen. I'm a little in, in uncharted territory, man. Y'all got to pray for me so I can get reacclimated amen amen to all of you who are here my uh, my tcf fam all of you who are watching thank you so much oh man it's always easy to preach when people are in the room amen and to those of you who are online i encourage you get engaged in the chat amen all of our people are standing by engaging with you ready to stand by and pray with you as the service goes on amen amen um come to me uh come with me excuse me to the book of jude for those of you who don't know the book of Jude, that is the second to last book in the Bible, right before Revelation. Book of Jude. And um, because Jude is only one chapter, um, we usually just say, we usually just point out the verses. So we don't usually say chapter one, we just point out the verses. So Jude 24 to 25. Should be on your screen if you don't have it in front of you. It says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Um, usually I have interesting titles, you know, fancy titles, but this morning this title is real simple. He's able. Tell your neighbor he's able. Come on, say it like you mean it. Tell your neighbor he's able. He's able, he's able, he's able. Hallelujah. This morning we are in a book of the Bible that um, doesn't get a lot of love. Amen. Doesn't get a lot of attention. Um, most books of the Bible, when they're really short, when they're just one chapter, they usually don't get a lot of attention. Um, but that doesn't diminish its value. Um, the book of Jude, although it's one chapter, 25 verses, very profound, very relevant, as all of the Bible is, but particularly relevant to this time that we're living in. Our author today, 
um, is also known as Judas, not Iscariot, but Judas is a common name, was a common name back in biblical times. Um, his name is Jude, and he is the younger brother of Jesus. Yes, Jesus had siblings. He had brothers and sisters, biological sons and daughters of Joseph and Mary. And in Jude 1, um, he addresses his audience um, in this letter. He addresses his audience as to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. A lot of the times you see in the New Testament epistles that um, either Paul or James or one of the other apostles or writers are writing to a specific, excuse me, specific group of people in a specific region. Um, but Jude is talking to all the saints, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ everywhere. Somebody say everywhere. And I want to really emphasize all three are important, but I really want to emphasize what he says, sanctified by God the Father. This is referring to the saints. Saints means holy ones. A lot of times we, we declare that God is holy, and he is. But he has also made us holy, those who are believers in him. It is called positional sanctification. This is where he has set apart us for himself through the Holy Spirit, through salvation. So there's sanctification, the process in which we're conformed to his image, but then there's positional and our position in him. We are set apart by God the Father for him and his purposes. And so we, his believers, we are holy ones. I am a holy one because he has sanctified me as holy, sanctified me as set apart. Hello, I'm Vernon Hill Sr., teaching pastor here at TCF. Hello, my name is Aretha Hill. I am the director of Glory Girls. Thank you for watching us today. If you're in need of a church community and you feel the Lord leading you to connect to this ministry, become more than a member, be a partner. When you partner with TCF, you become an agent of change, assisting the vision and the mission of the church to connect lives of the transforming power and love of Jesus Christ. We would love to partner in community and do life with you. So come to TCF. We look forward to seeing you. And remember, transformation starts here. And in Jude, as we go to verse 3, he addresses why he's writing this letter. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. As Judas saying, when he was writing this letter, he was just like, I was going to write to y'all about salvation. He doesn't specify what aspects of salvation. He's just saying, when I originally planned to write with you, I was going to write to you about salvation. But something came up. I got some news concerning y'all that men have infiltrated your ranks. False teachers claiming to be of God, claiming to be teaching of God. But they're false. They're not really of him. They're not preaching the truth. And they have crept in unnoticed under the guise that they truly are believers, even though they're not. And he said, although I was going to write to you about salvation, this right here, I found it necessary. Don't take it lightly. He said, I found it necessary to write to you, to exhort you, to contend, to fight, to strive, to preserve earnestly for the faith, the purity and the truth of this faith. Because these false teachers have crept in, and un crept in unnoticed and have perverted this truth. And as a result of this truth, a lot of people in your midst have fallen away from the truth. 
And I got to address this now so that you can contend earnestly, so that you can stand firm, so that you can discern that when you hear these lies, you can discern them as lies and not take them as truth. Look how Jude describes them. Ungodly men, irreverent men, men who have no reverence for God, yet assume themselves under the guise of men who reverence God who turn the grace of our God into lewdness. This is unbridled sexual lust. So what Jude is saying is that these men are using grace as an excuse to do whatever they want to do. That they're using the fact that God has bestowed his unmerited favor upon them to fulfill their sexual lust and desires. This is false. We know from Romans 6, or some of you don't know, Paul says that shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can we, who have proclaimed that we have died to sin, continue therein? But he says these men, they've turned this unmerited favor that God has undeservedly bestowed upon his people and turned it as an excuse to fulfill their flesh. And then he says that they deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 1, 15 through 16. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are, what, defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind, excuse me, and their conscience are defiled. 16. They profess to know God. But in works, they deny him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. How many of you know that you can defend the faith verbally and contradict it with the way that you live? You can be an astute, apologetic student. When I say apologetic, I'm referring to Christian apologetics. You can be astute in your defense of the faith and contradict it in the way that you live. You can also teach falsely, and your conduct, your poor and ungodly conduct, is a result of your false teaching. Pay attention to people who not only teach falsely, but people who also teach the truth because their fruit will determine whether or not they actually believe what they're preaching. As you go through Jude, let me tell you, Jude go in on these brothers. Let me just read you the list of how he describes these men. They defile the flesh, despise authority. Speak evil, excuse me, speak evil of angelic majesties. Speak evil of things they don't understand. Complainers, grumblers, walking after their own lusts, flattering people to gain an advantage. Mockers, they cause divisions, they're sensual, and last but not least, devoid of the Holy Spirit. Jew says, watch out, y'all. Watch out. Not only is their teaching false, but their conduct Come on, somebody, you can be teaching the right thing, but your conduct can be in direct contradiction to that which you are teaching. You got to pay attention to both. Now, I'm not trying to make y'all paranoid of people. I'm not saying go out and be the Holy Spirit police. What I'm saying is, is that when people project and when they proclaim and declare truth, pay attention to how they live it. Pay attention. Don't let that sleep uh, escape your, your, your eyes. Don't let that escape from your vision. Because that is a very real indicator of whether or not they truly believe what they're teaching. 
And so all throughout Jude, he's exhorting them. He pulls examples from the Old Testament. He pulls examples from extra biblical resources like the book of Enoch. He pulls from the apostles in their teaching, exhorting them that in these last times, markers will come. That in the past, the people that did not believe, that exhibited unbelief, God judged them. He destroyed them in his righteous judgment. Pay attention. Their condemnation was marked out long ago. These people who are unrepentant. These jokers know what they're doing. They don't re revere God. They don't have no reverence for his word. They're intentionally perverting his truth because the ungodliness and uncleanliness is already inside of them. See, these jokers, they was probably already acting ungodly. So what they did is they, they perverted the truth to give them an excuse to act ungodly. Yeah. This is what Jude is saying. Build, build yourself up on your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Have mercy on those who are doubting as a result of this false teaching. I don't have time to expound all of Jude because there's so, so much in there. But this is the premise of which Jude is writing to them. And so here we go. Here we go to verse 24. What we see in verse 24 and 25 is what we call a doxology. A doxology is a form of words and expression that offers praise to God. It's used in both public and private worship. Many of the doxologies found in the Bible were used as benedictions. You know, those closing prayers at the end of service when we invoke a blessing upon his people. That's what they usually close out worship with was a benediction. And usually the doxology was contained in that. And many of the doxologies you'll see in the Bible contain this phrase, now to him. Yeah. And I love how it says now. Because now is almost similar to therefore. It's encapsulating all that was discussed and, and given right before, that, right before that phrase. Now, after all is said and done, now to him. And then it says, there's some notable doxologies in the Bible that contain this phrase. Now to him who is able. This is where I really, really want to park my tent here this morning. When we say he's able... Merriam-Webster, that's my favorite dictionary. Now, if y'all don't know, side, side note, whoever wrote Merriam-Webster, they know Jesus, all right? They got, they, they, the example is in there. So if you look up the word grace, the example sentence is the grace of our Lord Jesus. I'm like, I ain't never seen this in no dictionary before. Merriam-Webster, they, they saved, amen? They, they, I would hope they are, you know what I'm saying? You just, you don't see that in common dictionaries, amen? And so for the definition of able, it's having sufficient power to do something. This is where I want to park my, park my tent. When I'm in need, I call on people who I know are able. When I'm in desperation of something, I call on someone who I know is able. They're able to do and help and assist in the thing that I need help in. Conversely, when I'm in need and when I'm in desperation... I don't call on people who I know are not able. Yeah. When I'm in need of, of, of food, of shelter, of, of clothes, of emotional support, of friendship, when I'm in need of certain things, I'm not going to call on somebody who I know is not able to supply the thing that I need. When we pray to God, there's an underlying recognition behind that prayer that recognizes that whatever I'm asking, whatever I'm bringing before his throne, whatever I'm beseeching him to do, I believe that he's able to do it. 
if I didn't believe he was able to do it, I would not beseech myself before his throne and ask and request that which I'm asking. There is an underlying recognition there that, God, when I come to you in prayer, I believe that you're able to do what I'm asking to do, what I'm asking you to do. If he is not able, there's no point in calling on him. If he does not have sufficient ability within himself, there is no point in getting on your knees and crying out to a holy father. If he is not able, that's the first stop. What makes you call that person's phone? What makes you call them late night in the midnight hour? The first stop is knowing within yourself that that person is able, that they have the ability to provide you and give you what you need. How many, how many of us got unreliable friends, unreliable family members? Are you going to call them in your time of trouble, when your car break down, when you need money? Are you going to call them? No. Wow. Because they're not able. <laughs> because they've demonstrated throughout their life, whether it's five years, 10 years, 20 years, they've demonstrated that they're not reliable, that they're not able. So if they're not able, I'm not going to dial their number, all right? Look at the, the, the practicality of this. If he is not able, there's no point in me calling on him. But, he, but if he is able, there's a reason to, talk, to call on him. If he is, in fact, able, that, then the time I put on my knees praying to him is not wasted. Because I'm not praying to a God who's not able. I'm praying to a God who has the ability within himself. But, he, but here's the flip side of he's able. Because we'll shout. You know, Dietrich Hatton, Darwin House, we'll shout, he's able, he's able, he's able. Here, here's, here's the flip side to that. There are times we, when we don't call on God because we don't believe that he's able. Oftentimes, this is the result of God choosing not to do something that he was able to do, that we asked him to do. Common examples, God, I had a loved one. I prayed and believed that you were able to heal them but you didn't do it. God, I was, I was praying for this job to open up at this time because I believe that you were able to open up this door, but you didn't. God, I, was, I, I believed you to, to save my, my, my marriage and, and restore it. I, I prayed to you in, in, in the late midnight hour. I prayed to you because I believed that you were able. But when he does not do what you pray for, or when he does something different than what you requested. This is what strays us from praying. Because this disappointment, or disappointments, plural. God, I believe that you are able, but in this situation, I prayed because I thought and believed that, believed that you were able. But in that situation, you either didn't do what I specifically requested, or you did it in a different way than what I wanted. Just because, and I don't say this to gloss over your hearts and your disappointments because I have some myself. What I've come to remind you of is the truth that just because God does not do something or because he does something different than what you requested does not mean that he is not able. Hey y'all, my name is Boomi, and I would like to invite y'all to go ahead and download our TCF app if you don't already have it. If you do have it, just know we have some new updates coming for you. You'll be able to connect with us, gain access to our exclusive content, 
see your live experience and sermons. You will have access to this app in either the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. Don't miss out. And remember, transformation starts here. Just because he does not come through in a specific way that I wanted him to is no bearing, is no indication of his ability. What it shows us is that in that situation, he sovereignly chose not to do what you asked him to do. Or in his sovereignty, he chose to do something different than what you requested. But it's not an indication that he is not able. I want y'all to, to really grasp that tonight because a lot of you, and as I'm, like I said, as myself, have walked through seasons where we ask God, why? Why didn't you do it? Why didn't you do it? I believe that you were able. And while you still may be wrestling with that disappointment on that hurt, I want to bring this to your light. What if, in fact, God was not able at all? What, in fact, gives you the hope to pray again? It's the fact that he's able. So even if he does not do it in this situation, what enables me to keep praying is the recognition that he's able. So he did not do it in this situation, but in this next situation, he may actually do it because what remains consistent is his ability. His power is sufficient and consistent. It does not change. So whatever he does in whatever situation or whatever season, what remains faithful and consistent is the fact that he's able. What gives you the, the strength to keep praying after that loved one died when you wanted God to heal them in this life? What gives you the hope to keep praying after you experienced that disappointment with your job and your relationship? It's the fact that if he didn't do it the way I wanted this time, he has the ability to do it in a different time. The next time, his ability does not change. Our faith rests on the fact, rest, that when we pray and ask God, God, restore. God heal, God deliver, God set free, that he's able to do it. These doxologies that contain to now to him who is now to him who is able, what God is able to do, it correlates to his attributes. Show them Romans 16. Now to him who is able to establish you. How is he able to establish you? Deuteronomy 32.4. He is the rock. Yeah. He who has established himself is able to establish you. He who does not shift, does not move, is not thrown off guard, is completely stable. He that is stable, he that is a strong and firm foundation is able to establish you. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, this speaks to his transcendence, his complete independence from and superiority over all creation because he in of himself transcends human limits and comprehension. He is able to do that which exceeds my mind because that is who he is. It connects to who he is. He's stable. He's transcendent. And so these things that he's able to do directly correlate to who he is. And so in going back to Jude 24, 
now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. King James says, to him who is able to keep you from falling. This correlates to his sinlessness, his holiness. James 1.13 says that when, if a man says he is tempted, if he says that God is tempting him, that's a lie. Because God cannot be tempted with evil. And nor does he tempt any man. And so when it comes, when he says who is able to keep you from falling, from falling into sin, he's able to do so because he and, and he in and of himself cannot fall into sin. He in and of himself cannot be tempted with evil, which sin is by nature. He in and of himself is holy. He's pure. He does not have any sin within him. Evil does not tempt him. There's nothing about sin that entices God. There's nothing about evil that makes them want to explore it like us. When we see evil, even though it's clearly marked that it's evil, it's sin, there's nothing in himself that makes them makes want to look at him like, ooh, I want to explore this and try this out for, my, for myself. No, there's nothing about his nature that is enticed by sin. You ever try helping somebody out, try to pull, trying to hold them up, and you struggling? The two of y'all struggling, or you trying to hold somebody up and y'all both struggling. The beauty of this passage is, is that I don't ever have to worry about God falling into sin. He's able to keep me from stumbling because there's no threat, no temptation that's going to make him fall into sin. It points back to his holiness, his sinlessness. This uncreated creator who doesn't have the capacity to lie, don't have the capacity to sin. He has sufficient power within himself to keep me. From stumbling. He himself is not tempted with evil. Flip side, knowing this truth, we do the same thing. We don't call on God when we're tempted. We don't, we don't, we don't cry out to him when we're experiencing that, that temptation, that, that tension between the flesh and the spirit. Why don't we call out on him? Because we don't believe that he's able. We don't believe he's able to keep us from falling. We don't believe because we're putting so much thought and so much power, esteeming too much of the flesh and not of the Holy Ghost. I don't know about you, but I've been convicted wrestling with sin. And I'm just like, I had the Holy Spirit had to convict me. Do you not know who lives inside of you? You're giving too much esteem to this flesh. I'm not saying it's not a struggle, but look at who lives inside of you. The Holy Spirit, the Holy, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who has set you apart. He lives inside of you. This life that he's calling us to live is not impossible. I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm just saying it's not impossible. You have an advocate who is not enticed by sin, who is more powerful than your flesh. But we yield to that flesh and we give it so much power. When I fall, it's not an indication that God is not able to keep me from falling. It's an indication that I didn't believe. The root of sin is unbelief. The root of it. When you go into all these other sources and you going outside of his laws and his trespasses to get what you want, it's because you don't believe that he's sufficient to supply what you're looking for in something else. When I fall, it's not an indication that he wasn't able to keep me. It's because I did not believe that he was able. Oh, but when I trust and believe that he's able, 
I can walk in victory. I can walk and walk over the sin, walk over the shame, walk on all the things that threaten to make me fall and stumble and fall in. I can walk in that because when I truly see and believe and I, when I come out on the other side, I don't know about you, but I've been on the other side of loss. I've been on the other side of defeat, but I've been on the other side of victory. And I know what victory tastes like and it testifies that now to him, he is able to keep me from falling and stumbling. That when I'm on that other side of victory, I'm like, wow, God, your word is true. And he's looking at me like, duh, didn't my word say I'm able to keep you from stumbling and falling? It's because you didn't trust me. You trusted in your flesh. You trusted in your own ability. You didn't trust me. We don't trust him. And then we fall. And then the nerve of us for someone to be like, well, God, I thought you would do it. And God's looking like, I'm able, but you got to trust me. I'm able, but you got to be willing. I'm able, but you got to be obedient. So reciprocal relationship. Not only is he able to keep you from stumbling and falling, but he's able to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I want y'all to really grasp this. This word fault, faultless in, in, in the original language, it means unblemished. Back in Levitical times of the Old Covenant, a lot of the sacrifices that they were required to give for sin offerings had to be unblemished animals. Animals with no defect. And this points to the Lamb of God, Jesus, who was unblemished in and of himself and offered himself as a sacrifice to atone for our sins. Now, this is what tripped me out. I don't know about you, but I have a very clear memory of all my faults, all of my failures, all of the times where I fell. Yet the scripture is saying that he's able to present me faultless. He's able to present me unblemished. How is he able to present someone who is inherently blemished as unblemished? Colossians 1. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he, Jesus, somebody say Jesus, has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death in order to what? To present you holy, blameless, and above reproach, which means unaccused. So through, excuse me, thank you, OG, in God's sight. So I am able and will be able. I know they don't preach about heaven no more. I will be able to stand before a holy perfect sinless God I will be able to stand before him faultless how in the world how in the world will I I just want you to think about your I'm not trying to make you sin conscious but I want you to really take a trip down memory lane and think about all the times that you fell and fell and fell and fell and fell and he says now to him who was able to present you as if you ain't never did none of that how Jesus in his body of flesh through death, he had to die right. to present you holy, holy, blameless, and above reproach. 
So not just the fact that he'll present me unblemished, but this uh, beginning of this year, we talked about, um, 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 what was the message, Pastor? Um, behind the scenes, how because we are justified through Christ, although we were guilty of some stuff, he counts us as not guilty. That when the devil stands to accuse us, the Lord says, the Lord rebuke you. I have cleansed them and washed them. I don't know about you, but I, I, I couldn't present myself faultless before a holy God. Isaiah 6 says that when Isaiah had that vision of the Lord seated high above his throne, we'll shout when he talks about the Lord being seated high on the throne and his train filled the temple. But look at Isaiah. In the fullness of his holiness and his perfectness and his sinlessness, he said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. He couldn't even present himself faultless. But with the seraphim, what did the seraphim do? They took a hot coal from the altar and touched his lips and said, you have been cleansed. You have been purified. I'm able to stand faultless because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This isn't in the notes, 2 Corinthians 5. Not only did Jesus do the, excuse me, not only, yes, Jesus did the reconciling. But God, 2 Corinthians 5, 18, 19 says, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So it was a partnership. Christ was the intermediary through which reconciliation came. But this verse said God was in Christ, reconciling us back to himself. A partnership between the Father and the Son, reconciling us back to him so that he may what? Present us faultless. Do you understand why this is a doxology? Do you understand why these are words of praise? Do you understand why the scripture says with exceeding joy, exceeding joy, not just ordinary joy, not just plain joy. But when I stand before him, I'm going to be so excited to know that I'll stand before a holy God faultless. Exceeding joy, exceeding joy beyond my mind, beyond what I can understand, exceeding joy. He who was able to present me faultless made provision so that I could stand before him faultless. And I didn't deserve that. You didn't deserve that. None of us deserve that. But he who cleanses and justifies and restores and heals and delivers made provision so that I would be able to stand before him knowing all that I did knowing all the times that I didn't trust him to keep me from falling yet he's able to make me stand faultless praise this is why he says to the only wise God to the only wise God who else to God our savior be glory Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glory, majesty, dominion, and power. Both now and forever. This reconciliation, this redemption is not just for now. You are sealed. Woo! Sealed to the day of redemption. Which means that no matter how many more times I fall between now and the day of redemption, I am sealed until that faithful day. 
I want y'all to really grasp this. So many times in this life, in this, 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 this carnal life, spiritual matters, spiritual things of spiritual significance escapes us because this is all that we see naturally. This is not the end. This is not the end. This is only the beginning. And the fact that God loved us so much to make provision to secure us for eternity. To the only wise God. Ha! Wise! Who else could have thought of this? When Adam and Eve fell in that garden, he didn't come up with that plan on the spot, but he was so wise. So infinitely wise to have a plan to set it up so that their disappointment would not be final. That he would open up a way for redemption to come. The only wise. Who in this world, what human would have thought of that plan? To the only wise God, our Savior, our Deliverer. Be glory. I don't even have time to get into all four, but just, 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 just declare it. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and power now and forever. Amen, or so let it be. Come on, let's stand. Let's stand right now. joining us online or in person right now and um, you know within the pardon of your heart that you do not know or do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ I exhort you as Jude did to give your life to him that, that verse in, um, in, in Jude 1 he says to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. He can preserve you. He's able. He has the power to preserve you through life's ups and downs, which you will not escape when you give your life to him. I don't know if anybody ever told you that. You will not escape trials and tribulations just because you give your life to Jesus Christ. But you will have help. You will have someone who will preserve you. Someone who is able to keep you from falling and stumbling. So many people are leaving out of here day in and day out. And I don't want you to miss out on the opportunity, not just heaven, but to know him. Paul says in Philippians, I count all things as lost for the surpassing value of knowing him. There's a beauty and a, a redemption, a restoration, an awakening when you truly begin to know who Jesus is and we can show you how you can obtain that. It's by faith. You don't have to do works or anything like that. It says we are saved by grace, his unmerited favor through faith in Jesus Christ. So if that's you, I want you to text that number on your screen. It should be text transformed to 94000. We want to show you the way of salvation. Romans 10, 9 says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth 
that God raised Jesus from the dead and that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. What does that mean? That God still has some judgment left. But when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we will be saved from his internal, eternal judgment. We will be saved and we will reign and live with him forever. If you know that you have strayed away in your relationship with the Lord, I'm not just talking about not just coming, not just coming to church, but relationally, you've strayed away, you've gotten into some other things, you've fallen into some, into some other things and you wanna get back. The pathway doesn't have to be rocky. Just come back and say, Father, I've strayed away and I want to come back. And he'll receive you with open arms. Father, I rededicate my commitment to you, to follow to you. I tried to do it in my own strength. And I'm done with that now. And most importantly, if you don't have a church home, you need community. You need people who are going to walk with you. Because this life, y'all, like my friend said, it's ghetto. It's hard. It's not easy. You need people with you to walk with you, to encourage you, to come alongside you and help you walk it out. That's what we're here for. No judgment, no condemnation. We all got some stuff, amen? We all got past, we all got history. But he, who that, be, he that began a good work shall complete it and is completed, amen? Pastor Alan Well, if you thank God for the word, come on and give God a praise. Thanks for listening to the Get Transformed podcast. We hope that you would subscribe so you can continue to be empowered by the latest message. For more information about Transformation Christian Fellowship or Pastor Brandon Hill, visit our website, transformationchristianfellowship.org, or download our free mobile app on the App Store or Google Play Store. If you would like to support this ministry, simply text TCF1 to the number 94000 or visit our website. We thank you for your generosity and for listening to the Get Transformed podcast. And remember, transformation starts here.